0: Thirty-three today. It says these words, So Pilate entered his headquarters again. He called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew, your own nation? And the chief priests had delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. For this purpose I Come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And then this is the word of the Lord this morning. Does words sound familiar? Yes, that was last week's text. And No, I'm not going to preach last week's message to you. There's a story of a man who was candidating in a church and he showed up and he preached and it was a tremendous message. The Deacons and the church leaders were all impressed and they called the man back the next week and said, we want you to come and preach again. We really enjoyed that message. And the man came back and he preached the exact same message. I thought, well, maybe as a coincidence, maybe he forgot or forgot his notes or whatever. Called him back the third week and he preached the exact same message. Finally, one of them called him aside and said, uh, brother, we really like your preaching, but you preached the same message three times in a row. Preacher looked at him and said, well, did you do what I told you to the first time? When you do, then I'll move on and preach something else. That's not what I'm doing this morning, so (laughs) take a deep breath. Last week we looked at this passage and we talked about the fact that Christ rules and reigns over all, that He is the King of the Jews. This week we are going to start a a new series of sermons and we're going to look at some of the times in which Christ, or the Scriptures I should say, explain The reason for Christ's coming to earth. This is the first Sunday, the season of Advent, if you would. Advent simply means coming. And of course, this is the time where we remember the fact that Christ has come to this earth to be born the Virgin Mary. It's not enough to merely remember that Christ has come. We should probably remember and keep to our mind the reason, the reason why He came. You've not heard this month, last week or two, the world reached 8 billion people, population. Every person, of course, matters to God. Every life is precious. Every individual is created in the image of God and God loves each and every one of them. The fact of the matter is, most of us come and go with very little fanfare. Certainly not worldwide fanfare. Certainly not fanfare that is still exists in 2,000 years after our birth. But Christ, of course, is different. Its coming sparked a worldwide shift. It was an earth-changing event, and even, as I've already said, maybe not everyone knew. Probably not most people in Jerusalem knew. Very few knew. But yet it changed the entire course of human history. And so we must ask, we must know the reason why in the text that we will explore over these next several weeks will show us that reason why. And so we began, of course, like I said, where we were last week, the same text that shows Christ's realization as king of the Jews, as king of kings, and Lord of lords shows us one of the reasons Christ came. 37 verse again says, Christ has come to bear witness to The truth. Why has Christ come? Christ has come to show us. To reveal to us. The truth. The day and hour in which we live in. This message seems needed now. More than ever. We live in a time where truth seems to be irrelevant. Where it seems to... Be pointless where there is no such a thing and we're doing our best to, to destroy and tear down every vestige of truth that exists in this world. Yet it would behoove us to remember this reality. Christ has come to bear witness to the truth and those words that he said to Pilate as he stood before them. Are still true today. He has come to reveal and to show us the truth. And so as we think about this message, we realize first of all that there is, there is such a thing as objective truth. There is objective truth. I mean, think about, think about the way we use this word truth. Somebody comes to church and says, I'm here visiting. I've come in for Thanksgiving. I've heard you guys have good pizza around here. So so where do I go to, to get this good pizza that you all speak of? What do you say you look at that person? You say, you need to go to Vinny's. He has the best pizza. And that is just the truth. But is it? Is it really the truth? I mean, what standard do you use to say that Vinny's has the best truth? Because the guy that's standing next to you is going to look at our visitor and he's going to say, no, you need to go to Sal's. I guarantee you Sal's is better than Vinny's by far. Somebody else is going to overhear this conversation. They're going to jump in and say, no, you need to go to Mario's. I'm trying to think of how many more Italian names I can get here before I offend everybody. I need to go to Tony's. Can't forget Tony here. You, this Tony's is the best pizza, and that's just the honest truth. And what do we have? We have a church split over who has the best pizza. I mean, you like it because they have a a sweet sauce to the pizza. You like the other place because they have a, a nice thick crust, and somebody else has a, a thin crust, and all this. Stuff that goes on. And you say, this is the truth. It is the best pizza. And again, we ask the question, well, what, what really makes that the truth? It's just really our opinion. I mean, we may believe it's the truth, but we can go on and take this a little bit further. You're talking to somebody before church and... Say, how are you doing? I say, oh, my knee is in such pain. It hurts so bad. And, and you look at him and he smile real big and you say, I know what you need. I went to CVS and I bought mom's castor oil and I'm telling you, that cleared up the knee problems that I had right away. And so what happens to you? you write it down and after... Church, you toddle down at CVS and you buy mom's castor oil or whatever you like there because so and so just told you, it's the honest truth. It cleared my pain in like 15 minutes and, and you buy that stuff. Next Sunday, they're going to come and say, did you buy that? How'd it work? And you're going to look at them and say, I feel worse than ever. I hurt more than I did before I put that on. Did they tell you the truth? Of course they told you the truth. The problem is, your pain may not be from arthritis. Your pain may be from a torn tendon or a torn muscle or whatever else. I'm not a doctor and I'm not going to play one now, but... They may have told you the truth. it may work for them. I mean, they may swear by that medicine and buy it by the caseful, but it may not be the same, even though you're hurting in the same general direction. It might be from a thousand different reasons. And yet again, we use this word "truth." I'm telling you the truth. This is the best restaurant in town. I'm, I'm telling you the truth. This stuff really works for your aches and pains. And yet, again, it may not be true in every situation for every individual. Yeah, beyond these two examples, though, we, we do have another measure of true Things that are right regardless of what you and I can think things that are right regardless of how we feel, things that are, if you would, objectively true. I mean, you can stand here this morning and say, gravity doesn't exist. I don't want gravity to exist. I want to be like Superman. I just went and saw the newest movie, and I want to be Superman. And so therefore, I declare gravity no longer exists. I guarantee you, despite what you see in Wiley e. Coyote, well, I guess I should use that because Wiley e. Coyote always finds out gravity exists, doesn't he? Despite what you think, you can jump off the highest building, you can jump out of whatever airplane, when you are going to realize that gravity is true regardless of what you think. So, no, we can, we can defy gravity. I mean, we can, we can put big old monstrous airplanes in the sky and they can fly and fly for hours and hours. And yes, we have figured out a way around gravity. But the fact is, eventually that airplane is coming down one way or another. Hopefully the next time you're on it, it's coming down the right way. You can can say, I don't don't like this idea that the earth is spinning on its axis and and revolving around the sun and all this other stuff. And yet, yet, if you're like me, you kind of woke up one morning and the leaves on your tree were green and beautiful. Came home from work that day and they were yellow. Got up to go to work the next morning and they're on the ground. And you had to rake them. I mean, you can you can do all you want to. You can you can make lights and all this other stuff, so that we can have 24 hours of daylight. But the fact is, morning and evening will always and forever exist. Francis Schaeffer was, of course, an apologist. Lived in the 70s and 80s. He defined this truth as true truth. And he said that to emphasize as strongly as possible the classical view of the objectivity of truth, which is to say that the truth or falsity of a thought, more accurately, a proposition, which is the abstract content of a thought or sense, is not determined by whether or not it is believed. But by whether it corresponds or failed to corresponds to what the thought is about. The thought the moon, the moon goes around the earth, which expresses a proposition that the moon goes around the earth, is true only if the actual moon actually goes around the actual earth. The moon does not go around the earth, the thought is false. Merely believing something does not make it true and not believing something does not make it false. These are the words of Greg Jessen, a man who was writing about Francis Schaeffer's view of truth and he finishes his paragraph with this statement that you can see on the slide there. It says this, The truth value of a proposition is determined only by the way things are. And merely thinking differently about things does not change those things. In other words, truth is defined by the way things are. And just because you don't want to believe it, just because you want to think differently, it does not change reality. And this is what I am talking about when we're talking about objective truth. Of course, this is something no world rejects. Took a few moments to look up to Google search engines, how many genders there are in the first site I came with said eighty one. Eighty-one, and you can believe that all you want to. You can believe that all. You can run around and say, I am gender number 75. I didn't bother to look them all up. Sorry. But the truth of the matter is, when a child is born, a child is born with one of two sets of plumbing, if you would. And it has been that way through all 8 billion people. Yes, I know there are very few instances where things don't quite work out right and whatever else. We try to be as sensitive as we can, but but this is the reality of the matter. It does not change despite what Facebook asked you to put on your identity. And so we start with this premise. And when we consider this man who is standing before Pilate, And we consider these words that he is there to bear witness to the truth. That is the reason why he came. We have to understand that Jesus is not talking about his truth, his belief that he is God. A lot of people that believe that, there's people that believe that today. A lot of them live in Washington, D.C. and roam the halls of Congress that think they are God, but It's probably neither here nor there. A lot of people will say, I am God, I am a Messiah, I am a deity. I mean, we know all about them, and a lot of times they've come to very bad ends as the ruse has been discovered. But Jesus stands there before Pilate, and he says, I have come. And I have come to bear witness to the truth, to bear witness to objective reality, to bear witness to the way things really are. We see in Jesus, we see ultimate truth. We see ultimate reality. We see true truth, if you would. So we start with that premise, and when we consider the person of Christ, we, we have to understand that there is objective truth, and so that leads me to my second point, which is this. What is that truth? What is that truth? What do I mean that Jesus shows us that there is real objective truth? Again, we go back to our text and we notice what Jesus said there in verse 37. So you are a king, Pilate said. Jesus answered. You've said I am a king. This purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth and everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. He's come to bear witness to the truth and so so what is this truth that he is bearing witness to? Well, first, the truth that there is, that there is a God. There is a God. You see, when Pilate asked that question, Pilate said, what is true? He's operating from this framework that Caesar is God. A Caesar is divine. that Caesar is Lord. But we know what happens to Caesar. Is betrayed and murdered by his own people. The other Caesar dies and he is buried in the ground. Another Caesar takes his place and he eventually dies and is buried. Yet Jesus stands there and he says, I am bearing witness to the truth. And what is that truth? That truth is that there is a God. After all, think of what John wrote at the beginning of this letter. He said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the light was the light of man. The beginning was the Word. Word was with God and the Word was God and the Word created all things and without Him nothing was made. How does John go on and explain that? Verse 14, the Word became flesh. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus stood there before Pilate and said, I am bearing witness to the truth. He is telling Pilate that you are looking at God incarnate. You are looking at God who has come in the flesh, the one who dwells among us, the one that we have looked upon. John said in his first epistle, that which we have touched and handled and seen the word of life. This is what I'm writing to you about. John is declaring that Jesus Christ is God. He is the son of God. He is the one has come in the flesh. Paul states it this way in Colossians that Christ is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Jesus is the one who created this world, who spoke it into existence. His word, the Logos, is what formed the heavens and the earth, and now he stands before Pilate and telling him there is a higher power. There is someone we must answer to. There is someone who has created this world and who rules over this world. The world rejects this idea of God, don't they? They don't like the idea that you're going to tell me what to do. Your two-year-old looks at you and he says, I ain't going to do what you're going to tell him or tell me to do and you let him know, know in certain terms that there is a higher power. That's the way we are with this World, We live in a world like a bunch of two-year-olds that are looking at God saying, I am not going to do what you want me to do and live how you want me to live. And yet us saying that does not negate the reality that there is a God. Pilate looks at him and says, Really? Really? Are you telling me you're the source of ultimate truth that there's a higher power, there's a higher deity than Caesar? You know, what's funny is if you read this interaction with Pilate and Jesus, you realize that Pilate's very position as a government leader testifies to the reality and existence of God. John 19, Pilate looked at him in verse 10 and said, you won't speak to me? Don't you know they have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Verse 11, Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless they had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. What is Pilate saying? He's saying, look, I'm in a place of authority. I can have you killed. Jesus looks at him and says, you you wouldn't have no authority unless God himself had given it to you. God himself is who instituted and what is Jesus doing? He is affirming the idea that God has created the system of human government. Genesis 9 is where we read this concept, this idea of government. And Paul reaffirms it in Romans 13 when he says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, if you resist authority, you resist what God has appointed. And you will incur judgment. In other words, Paul is telling us that government itself is a creation of God. Now, don't misunderstand me. That doesn't mean that we ought to obey every government leader at all times. That God approves of despotic, wicked governments. God does charge leaders to rule fairly and justly. The concept here of Pilate having authority speaks of the reality of God. The fact that Pilate has a position of prominence and authority is because God has created this system of government. You see, when you see Christ, you see the baby, when you see the Christ child, you are reminded of this truth, of this reality. There is a God. and I go back to that statement where he said, not wanting something to be so does not make it the way you want it. The world can say that there is no God, that they will be their own God, that they will create their own God. It does not negate the truth. Christmas time reminds us of the reality that there is a God objective truth tells us that there is a God but it also it also tells us that humanity is under God's wrath humanity is under God's wrath the irony of Jesus standing before Pilate stating that he was bearing witness to the truth is strong After all, he had done nothing wrong. Pilate himself was struggling to find guilt. He told the Jewish leaders, I I find no guilt in this man. So Pilate says he has the authority to crucify Jesus and Jesus replies as we just read in verse 11 of John 19. You would have no authority at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Notice those words there. The greater sin is found in the ones who delivered Jesus to Pilate in the first place. Because of the sin that these Jewish leaders bore in their lives. In fact, because of the sin that is in all of our lives, Jesus had to stand before Pilate on that day. Standing there before Pilate, he is bearing witness to the fact that the world is under the wrath of God. We don't like to talk about this concept, do we? We love to discuss the fact that God is love, that he loves the world, and of course he does. We also have to remember the fact that God's wrath, his anger, is unleashed towards those who persist in their sins. The Lexan Theological wordbook explains it, it says, "The wrath of God or divine wrath are concepts used in both the Old Testament and New Testament that invite readers to consider the anger of God in contrast to His mercy. The concept of divine wrath emphasizes the danger of opposing the divine will and expresses in human terms the emotional reaction provoked by God in sin. Rebellion. Pilate is standing there before Jesus because the world. The world is under the wrath of God. We can go on and quote from several passages, but of course Romans 1 is most well known. Verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness by men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. What is, what is Paul saying? He's saying, look, it doesn't take a genius to go outside and look at this world and realize that there is a great God out there. Notice what he says in verse 21. They knew God. They realized there is a God. Creation has shown them there is a God, but they did not honor him as God. Give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. They could have accepted the reality of God and the truth of who God is. Instead, they rejected him. Paul says the wrath of God then is being revealed against them. Revelation 19 tells us about the fullness of this wrath being poured out and we're told that from his mouth, from the mouth of Christ comes a sharp sword which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. What is John saying? He's saying when Jesus comes again, the wrath of God will be fully unleashed against those who reject Him and turn their backs on Him once and for all when Jesus stands before Pilate, he is there to tell the world that they're under the wrath of God. There is a God. And because of the sin that they have committed, they are under his wrath and they deserve the punishment that he is about to face. Which leads us to our third point here, our third truth. Is that God's great love for his creation God's great love for his creation. You see, there's there's no reason for Jesus to be there in Pilate's judgment hall. He has done no wrong. Maybe you've been one of the ones that pulled over on the side of the road as we were driving around this weekend flashing lights behind you. A nice young man or young woman with a big gun on the side of their hip there telling you, you are guilty. Show up in the courtroom on such and such a day because you are guilty. That's what happens here. Pilate's judgment hall, you come because of guilt, but yet yet Jesus has done nothing wrong. And yet because of the wrath of God towards mankind for their sinfulness, Jesus stands there. He stands there not because of his sin, not because of his guilt, not because of his shame, but he stands there bearing my sin, bearing God's wrath and my place. He, the divine judge, stands there and says, you are guilty. And then he takes off his robes of judgment and he puts on the robes of my sin and my shame. He says, I will bear the cross in your place. Paul says here in Romans chapter 5 that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? Because we were sinners and we could not save ourselves, Christ died for us. And why did he die for us? Because God is showing us his love that He has for us. Go back to more than just Pilate's judgment hall. Consider Galatians chapter 4, when the fullness of time had come. God sent His Son, born, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those that were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Do you see, as, as Jesus stands there before Pilate, he's standing there saying, I am God incarnate. I am the word who was made flesh. And he stands there telling Pilate, I am the one who, who, who is bearing the sin of these people who are condemning me to death. And he stands there before Pilate saying, the reason I am doing this is because God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. This is Christmas, isn't it? This is what it means to see the manger, to see the shepherds and the wise men. this is what it means to sing, heart the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn King. Peace on earth and mercy, my God, and sinners finally reconciled, reconciled because the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, as John 14 says, stood before Pilate and says, I am bearing witness to the truth. I'm bearing witness. There is true truth. There is reality in that reality. That reality is a God who loves us so much He gave His Son to die for our sins. So what are we to do? Well, again, you, you, you have to believe the truth. You have to. I mean, I guess you don't have to. Again, true truth, objective truth doesn't care about your feelings. Demands you to believe. Again, you can say, I I don't want to believe in gravity. I want to be able to fly. Did you ever been on Route 33 in rush hour traffic? But guess what? I I don't care. I'm about to throw an apple and it's going to hit you upside the head depending on how far back you are and how strong I am. So those of you on the front row, get ready. I don't want to believe in God, so what? I don't care. Open your eyes and realize there is a divine being out there. There is a God, there is one who created the heavens and the earth. So we have to believe, and then we have to live in light of it. We have to live in light of the truth. It goes hand in hand with believing it, it doesn't in the world refuses to accept or believe, but we, we have to become harder and harder in the day and hour in which we live in. That's why we as a church we haven't evolved our views on marriage or sexuality or whatever, if you would. It's why we haven't evolved our views on universalism or the idea that everyone, no matter who you are, no matter how you live, that you're just all going to go to heaven. No, God is a holy and righteous God. And even though this may now land us in trouble, we still live in light of this truth. We still live because it's real. We still teach our young men and women God's design and purpose for them is for a man and woman to get married and live together and have children. We still tell our children that it's not okay for you to do whatever you want to. You have to know right and wrong because there is a God who has ordered this world in the way that he has. We live our lives in light of the truth and finally, Finally, we proclaim the truth. We proclaim the truth. And now we have an excellent opportunity for the next month or so to take this time and share the truth. As you gather around with friends and family, do more than just complain about how much the turkey was. Yeah, I know, it's 20, 30%. It's crazy, it's outrageous. Do more than just complain about who was elected to office. Point them to the fact that there's a God who loves us so much that He was not willing to let us die in our sins. But He gave His Son to die for us. Speak to them of the... Well, they won't hear me well. It's your job to bear witness to the truth. Tell them there is a God. He loves them. He gave his son for them. As you go and you celebrate during this season, remember the reason why Christ came was to bear witness to the truth. Amen. Let's pray this morning, shall we? Lord, we do thank you for this reality. This true truth, this real reality. There's a divine being out there who loves us so much He would send His Son to die for our sins. Lord, I know that we have little gold manger scenes and we have manger scenes with cute little faces and all this other stuff. God, we have all these decorations, but right in the middle of it, we need to remember that in that manger, in that crib, there's not, not just another baby like the eight billion that walked this earth today. There is God incarnate, the Word made flesh, one who loves us so much. He was willing to bear the wrath of God in our place. One who stands there to remind us that there is real reality. There is true truth. And his name is Jesus. The way, the truth, and the life. If you're here this morning, you don't know him as your Savior. Bring you back to that third point. God loves you so much that He was willing to send His Son to die in your place. Christmas 2022 is the day, the time when you realize that truth. And you make it your own because, yes, there will be a day when we will see Him. And he will unleash the fullness of the wrath of God upon an unbelieving world that has rejected him. Right now, he does not stand there as punisher of those who do wrong. He stands there as Savior, and as lover of your soul. If you're here, I challenge you. Receive his gift today. Receive it today. I mean, if you're here and you're being swayed by the opinions of this world, they're saying, eh, maybe that church stuff is wrong and old-fashioned. It's out of date. You don't need to believe it. Believe your own set of truth. Believe your own reality. Remind you today that that tree in your house, those presents under that tree, those decorations, those lights, are doing more than just pointing to a fun time of year. It is pointing you to truth. I challenge you, do not walk away from that truth. Receive it. Embrace it. I challenge us as a church to stand boldly on this truth. Challenge us to stand and say, We will proclaim Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Savior of the world. If they throw us in jail, if they send us to the execution hall ourselves, we will continue to live that truth.